Yeah, and it's having adults around who aren't fuckwits. And a lot of people don't have that. Hi, welcome back. Berger and I had a chat the other day about the ostrich phase of the pandemic that we're in now, which is the one where we're on a public health uh, and government level, just sort of trying to ignore it and hope that it goes away. Bertrand Russell, the famous philosopher, said that we have to deal with the facts as they are and not as we wish them to be. And much as we may wish that there's not much COVID around and that it's no longer evolving and that people are not dying from it or uh, getting long COVID from it, those things just aren't the facts. Uh, it's a strange schism to be dealing in a world where you understand that and yet you have to get on with life surrounded by people who don't understand it. So it's important that we keep drawing attention to the truth and also support one another through what is a very difficult phase. Over time, um, the evidence becomes undeniable. Um, but in communities that are not vaccinating the very young and not doing things like monitoring wastewater, at least we can point to places like the USA that do do those things, imperfect as they are. And we can continue to look after ourselves by uh, masking when we're in crowded situations and uh, continuing to test and isolate. But it is a lonely place to be, particularly if you're surrounded by those who uh, just do not or do not want to understand uh, that this is still a significant ongoing health problem. Uh, a bit like climate change in some levels where our communities are also ignoring much of those parameters as well. So we need to stay strong, uh, stay focused on the science, stay supporting one another in a compassionate and empathetic manner. And uh, occasionally we need to talk about nonsense and uh, to um, take time out to de-stress by uh, enjoying life as much as we can. And Berger and I had a little bit of a reflection on all of those things in this brief chat. So how are you? Yeah. Good, you? Right. Good All right. All right. I've been carrying around the countryside, doing various uh, remote uh, outback locums, which is always interesting. Have you been flying yourself from place to place? Yeah, quite convenient. Flying from uh, little town to little town. It's amazing how different they all are, actually. You don't quite kind of get the sense of that if you just pass through as a tourist, but they're all completely different. And um, what's what's happening with the with the pandemic then? Things seem to be um, uh, increasingly ignored in terms of um, testing in the in the population, and we seem to be between yeah. Uh, getting between four and five waves every 12 months, but we're now trying to just kind of absorb them as business as usual. Is yeah, that a fair analysis? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the intention of governments from fairly early on has come to fruition. We now have, you know, pretty high level endemicity. It's pretty high background levels all the time with frequent peaks. Um, the yeah. by not testing that's concealed to a large extent uh and the impact on uh vulnerable people particularly hospital patients you know anyone in hospital who catches it 
uh, you know, with anywhere from a, a, an eight to a, an 11 percent mortality is being ignored. And so I think the calculus that this was an acceptable uh, that we needed to get to a position where there was an acceptable, in inverted commas, uh, toll, we, we've got there. I mean, the question is who that toll is acceptable to. Uh, and we've seen some very strong information initiatives from governments around the world about how everybody's tired of masks we've got to go back to norm normality uh you know status quo situation normal 2019 it's all over uh that has been a very strong political a requirement for a political narrative uh and we see the kind of resources devoted to creating and propagating that political narrative which we're not we're not devoted and are not devoted to promoting the public health so uh you know it's hard not to be disappointed it's certainly been getting me down a bit recently uh, you know it's because we see this it's 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 it i, I don't want to overstate it but it it does feel like the death of public health, or at least the aspiration to improve the public health year on year, simply because that is a good and humane thing to do. We're now in a situation where we just are, are managing for best economic outcome. And that's that's is it depressing. economic outcome or is it is it popularity of elected officials that that we're managing for because they're, yeah. they're slightly different things and I think that a lot of this is being led by branding and the thing that surprises me about it all is that um, if you were to ad adopt all of these current measures but actually be fairly aggressive in your in your public health um, settings in terms of clean air vaccination mm. antiviral uh, availability um, and surveillance of wastewater um, to to have at least a sense of how much disease is out there if you're not going to be testing people then I don't think that would detract from politicians popularity because it seemed to me that the ones who who's who improved their popularity were those who had a sense of protecting the general population and i would have thought the smart way would be to thread the needle and do those things um but it seems like we're ad adopting the worst of uh the uk approach at the moment which is to sort of pretend that infection is a good way of protecting people against infection which is about as smart as saying, you know, the more you spend at a 50% off sale, the more money you're going to have. Yeah. Um, so I think that it, it, it comes back to medicine being politics and politics being public health uh, at, at the moment. And people are afraid to fight against that because their careers depend on the, their acceptance by the political masters. Yes. And ultimately, uh, this comes down to, I think, a lack of courage 
vision and the ability to inspire and politicians because yes i mean the message that you're giving there uh, uh combining good public health with the best economic outcome i mean it's obvious that over the long term that is the best thing to do that healthy economies require healthy people um but the short-term interests the quarterly uh, the, the interests that are watching the quarterly balance sheet, the quarterly profit, uh, do not think like that. So, but there, I suppose on the good news front, um, my assessment is that the vaccines are pretty good in in most respects and uh, certainly a lot better than we anticipated yep. early in the pandemic and, and that masking, strategic masking in particular, um, you can lead a pretty good life. Yeah. Uh, whilst um, still protecting yourself. I mean, as far as I know, I haven't had COVID to date. And part of that is because I'm lucky with where I work and I'm privileged yep. with my uh, living conditions and so on. But um, I still uh, will wear a decent mask when mm. I feel I'm in a crowded situation. When I travel, I went to uh, the UK f um, for work and uh, um, for family reasons uh, for a week, uh, mm -hmm. about a week ago, I came back. And I masked the whole time I was in the airport and on the airplane, except to eat and drink something at altitude. Yep. And didn't catch so much as a sniffle while those around me were trying to cough up a lung, apparently, most of the way home. So even yeah. if there was no COVID, oh, you, you wouldn't care. Yeah. There's some good news for personal protection in the yeah, midst yeah. of the, um, the new world regime, I think. Mm, definitely. And, and listen, that's the thing. You know, one of the things that really galls me about this whole situation is... We've learned a lot since 2019. Okay, we don't want to go back to 2019. I used to get ill all the time, when I, particularly when I worked in general practice, a bit less so when I worked course, in yeah. hospital medicine. But, but still, I used to get ill all the time. I haven't been ill in four years. It's absolutely wonderful. I mean, I, I do not understand why we are not adopting the highest level of respiratory protections in hospitals now that we've all actually figured out that uh for years we've been ignoring and neglecting the evidence on airborne transmission of uh um, respiratory and other illnesses um it, it's a mystery to me why hospitals and hospital systems are tolerating such high levels of staff sickness and the levels of staff sickness are very high not just with COVID, also with flu, also with RSV, people are off all the time, uh, uh, when that could be dramatically reduced. And quite why we are tolerating infecting already sick patients with these uh, diseases is, is absolutely beyond me. So, so exactly what you say. Well, we've learned a lot. It's like the military. It's like the military. There's a chain of command, and there's a there's a section that deals with certain things, yeah, and yeah. Uh, we have uh, a failed infection prevention control system totally in failed. place at the moment. Yeah, that, that's based on uh, nothing better than religious beliefs and yes. and um, ego and uh, being part of a team, which yeah. is um, on any objective measure. Uh, fail, failed us dramatically, yep. and continues to fail us in the in the uh, in the hospital setting. Yeah, and 
I, I can't believe that that will continue for the long haul, but unfortunately these things take a depressingly long time to turn around because there's a lot of people who need to move on from their positions yes. before honesty will be allowed to prevail, in my view, as to airborne transmission within healthcare facilities. There might be individuals here and there who get it, but if you want to change something, it has to come from the top down and CEOs have to follow the advice that they get from the experts in that area. Yeah. We would expect them to do so in anesthesia and surgery and in emergency medicine. And the, so likewise, they do an infection prevention and control. But when we have an audit and they come in and they're checking yeah. very carefully whether we're washing our hands in a, in a stuffy little room. It's, uh, it's whilst, nonsense. Whilst I'm wearing a mask yeah. and the people doing the audit are not. Um, then what, what can you expect? The emperor has no clothes. Now, what we all want for ourselves and for our families is to be cared for. The reality is that the approach... I hope so. You yeah. hope. Uh, and the approach to the pandemic is much more on the side of farming humans for profit than it is caring for individual humans. So the, the, the rhetoric... Well, I think so. When you see the... Mm. The usual talking heads coming out and saying it's important this inquiry it sh it discusses whether our response was proportionate. Mm. Well, proportionate to what? I mean, yes. you, you know, you're either is is our response to saving lives proportionate? Well, mm. we we sent the navy to get one solo sailor out of the uh, out of the southern ocean at one yes. stage. Tony Bullimore. Um, Tony Bullimore when he, he when he was trapped <laughs> down there was was that proportionate? Mm. We spend billions on chemotherapy yes. every year for people who will die from their cancer mm. at some stage. Is that proportionate? We spend billions on running large public hospitals to treat people with advanced stage disease of all descriptions, including dialysis, yes. transplantation. Is that proportionate? Nothing was disproportionate about our pandemic response. That, no. is, that is how you respond to it. But if you go into it saying, well, we've got to accept that a whole lot of people are going to die, yes. then that to me is a, is a fundamentally corrupt ethical position to take because it's, it's, and it's corrupt because it's not what you would want for yourself or your loved ones. Yeah. If it was your own children, your own partner or family, you wouldn't just say, oh, well, that's okay. Mm. Um, somebody has to die during a pandemic. Now, if we were all just struggling to get by and survive as a community, then, you know, that would, that, a few hundred years ago, then that would be the state we were in, but we're not. We, you can't possibly say that it's reasonable for, for people to live the lifestyle that we have here and yet not look after yes. our elderly people or our people who um, have an increased vulnerability uh, to disease. That's an, it's an untenable position uh, and, and one that we should attack and that, whenever possible. Absolutely, and that paradox of being such a wealthy nation with such a high standard of living and at the same time, yes. you know, penny pinching and going, oh, well, no, we can't afford this. It's absolute, it's just absolute bollocks. I mean, and, and we're wealthy same... enough that we can afford the ridiculous discretionary products that are advertised Absolutely. between r ridiculous discretionary yeah. uh, uh, breakfast television segments. Yeah. Um, which, so I think that um, it's very reasonable for us to fight yeah. about these things and for con to continue to make mm. that commentary and to call people out on it because well, I can tell you this, they don't like it. No, they don't like they it. They really do not like uh, it. But I, 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 would, I would say that um, it's a fallacy to say that the life of the 90-year-old is, is not worth as much as that yeah. of the 20-year-old. Completely. Um, because we're not saying let's abandon the 20-year-old. What we're saying is maybe we're going to ask that 20-year-old if they wouldn't mind uh, wearing a mask when they're in a nursing home. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, maybe we're going to ask that 20-year-old, would they please wear a mask up if they're going on to an oncology oh, ward? Oh, but what an when, when, We're not saying that oh. we're going to kill 20-year-olds instead of 90-year-olds. Yeah. We're saying that it's, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to take small steps uh, in order to protect elderly people so that they can stay alive. Yeah. We shouldn't wantonly be but, letting them die uh, because they're 90. What we're really talking about is, is quality life years. And we're also talking about level of, um, you know, the, the attitude of that particular person. And these are things that we look at in medicine all the time. If there's a 20-year-old with a terminal disease whose quality of life is terrible, who says, I want to give up now, we in fact have in place even voluntary assisted dying around the mm. country for those people. So we're not saying life at any cost, but what we're saying is let's, let, let's be a just yes. society, a moral let's... society, a good society, a caring society, an empathetic society mm. not one that just writes off large bits of the population so that the yes. rest of us can carry on blithely yes. without any consideration even the most minor alteration in what we do and which this now labels you and false premise it really it needs to be counted and that lab now that saying that now labels you as an extremist it's not it's extremist to apparently request as you say that the 20 year old wears a mask in a in a nursing home when they go to visit grandma I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's this kind of infantilization of of adults. Actually, that oh, we can't, they, you can't expect the poor loves to do this. You know, what happened to compassion? What happened to care for others? That's what distresses me. Yep. And 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 I find it particularly distressing, actually, as an immigrant to Australia, because this country. You know, the ethos of this country is looking after your mates, mateship. That's yeah, the. I'm not sure that. Well, it's a narrative, is Was ever really that solid. But there was an. Australians are quite civic minded. They like to do that kind of stuff. There was a narrative that could have been uh, um, explored and promoted in the pandemic. And it was to start with. And everybody around the, the country was going, oh, yeah, you know, go, Victoria. Thanks very much for doing this for us. Um, uh, but then that, there was a shift and it just went bang like that. And now it's all about, you know, uh, lockdowns have ruined children's uh, education forever, including in Western Australia, where there weren't any lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the poor loves um, uh, totally evidence free. Well, I think it's... Um... You know, it's worth keeping these things at the forefront of mind and keep keep putting them on on record, particularly this this issue of um, understanding how much disease there is around. Um, I think we we need to be monitoring that a lot more carefully. Yeah. And uh, the in the end, obvious um, reality becomes uh, it's, it's still these people will still deny anything, but it, it, the um, sensible. Uh, heads will start to prevail and there'll be change in some of these positions and I'm optimistic that you know yeah, I think in, will. in the long term we'll get somewhere but in the meantime that'll be too late um, for some which yep. is um, which is a very difficult uh, thing to live in in society but I suppose it then makes it you know equivalent to many of the other things we live with in society where we've had uh, un unfair health outcomes in in lots of ways yeah um, so what's uh, what is the rest of your week uh, well, we shall keep buggering on and uh, yes, being a yes. thorn in the side of uh, everybody who wants to treat us humans as a, an economic commodity to be farmed.
But uh, yeah, no, the rest yeah, of the I, week, I agree. I'm very excited because uh, I'm going to New Zealand on Saturday. Actually, going to do a emergency trauma medicine course in Christchurch, which I've done before nice. a couple of years ago. It's actually the best, the best one. So it's called the ETM course. It's one of the alphabet courses: ALS, APLS, uh, EMST, ETM. E, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's a really good course. Uh, so it's about how to uh, deal with trauma patients, uh, and then, so my, as you know, Andrew. My weakness mm. is it's arriving. It's arriving. It's quirky, quirky aircraft. So this uh, aircraft that I bought from a friend in America, 1946 Republic CV amphibious flying boat, uh, is assembled. Sorry, at... I thought I misheard you. I thought you said it was built in 1946. 1946. 1946. Yeah, they were built in 1946. 1947. They were going to revolutionize the process of aircraft construction and be very, very cheap to build. And the returning pilots from the war were all going to buy them and fly their families around at the weekend. It never eventuated. But they did produce what is probably the best single-engined amphibious flying boat ever produced, which may not mean a lot to many people listening to this. Well, but anyway, New Zealand's got a lot, of, a lot of water you could land it on if you need to. It's got a lot to. of lakes. It's got a lot of lakes. So, uh, so I'm going to be flying it down to the Southern Lake Country. Hopefully, uh, I have never flown it before, but hey, how hard can it be? I don't know anything about that, nor do I know anything about um, what, what it is that I'm embarking on this this week. Oh yeah, go um, on. And well, you're talking about if you if you needed an evidence base to do things, yeah, you, you know, you would never get anything done, you know, in in the end. So that's yeah. that's the, the human way. No, I'm uh, I'm getting married on Thursday. Yes, um, you invited so, us. Uh, you invited us, and we couldn't well, come. Well, this this is, yeah, no, that's that's that's. There's a bit of a party later in the year, nice. but this is the ah, actual, this is the um, actual. Okay, heading down to the registry well, office. Congratulations. Uh, congratulations. Well, thank you. Congratulations! Congratulations! Uh, so, um, <laughs> okay, fair yeah, enough. But it will be a, fair it'll, enough. It'll be a, uh, it, it'll be a happy occasion with family oh, only good. this weekend. My yeah. ninety-six-year-old mother. No doubt, saying, uh, making comments like "this will never last." That sort of thing <laughs> um, from from the front row, which is uh, fantastic. Things she likes to say to impress uh, impress strangers, um, yeah, and scare scare the celebrant on this occasion. Yeah. Um, well, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, as always. Great to talk. And um, keep flying yeah. the flag. And uh, we um, we need to. Put in a bit of video in here of your uh, flight of the bumblebee. Flight of the bumblebee, yeah, well, we'll see. Very excited. Anyway, great to talk to you, Andrew, as ever. As ever. A half finished lemonade tells me all I need to know about yesterday. myself I'd stay a while away Solutions ahead but don't carry on Blinded by nothing, away through it all 
peace in the fire and the flames Thoughts just so far In this room I've lost my way